0: that's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18
1: plus. This is the Morgan Report with David Morgan. For the latest in precious metals investing, gold, silver, the economy, and more, go to themorganreport.com.
0: Reluctant Preppers provides educational awareness and commentary only. Opinions expressed do not constitute personalized financial advice viewers are encouraged to do their own research and seek qualified personal financial consultation before making investment decisions. Hey, Reluctant Preppers, if you haven't heard, we've already started our monthly one-ounce U.S. Silver Eagle thank-you gift to one active Patreon subscriber each month, signed by your host, Donegan Kaiser. And you don't want to miss out on that.
1: Please help us grow by subscribing today at patreon.com slash reluctantpreppers.
0: As a responsible person with growing concerns for your privacy and personal liberty, you want to know where we're headed and what you can do about it. We ask the experts what you need to do to take prudent and responsible action to safeguard your family's wealth and well
1: being, and what basic first steps will help you to be aware and prepared. ReluctantPreppers.com.
0: Hey, Reluctant Preppers, it's Monday, December 3rd, 2018, and our special guest is David Morgan. Let's get into it. Thanks. Welcome back, Reluctant Preppers. We have a returning guest that all of you will recognize, I believe. David Morgan, the silver guru, is here with us again on Reluctant Preppers. He's here to answer some of your viewer questions and some of his own that he's just brought back from his trip to London. David, thank you for joining us once again on Reluctant Preppers.
1: Well, I guess I'm doing something right. At least you must like me, because you keep asking me back, and I'm very grateful for that. So... um... A little jet lag, but I'm glad to be here,
0: thank you. Oh, sorry for your jet lag, but maybe that's the, and certainly we can underscore that yes, our guests, uh, are, that is our viewers, are often very eager to uh, hear your updates from, we know that you do research directly in the silver mining industry, you do uh, research in the silver markets and precious metals industry in general, and you watch the financial affairs, but you also bring us uh, philosophy and history perspective uh, and uh, the perspective of your entire career in this field. So thanks for joining us. And you just recently returned from some travels to London. What was all that about?
1: Well, a couple things. One is that I have associated with uh, Gold and Silver for Life, which is a uh, program where basically you hold it for life and you earn an income off your investments by doing what the bankers do, and that's using derivatives. Now, most people that know me know that I'm not a huge advocate of derivatives, but I'm pre-market. You know, if you want to utilize all the available tools that you have uh, at your disposal as an investor, why not? So just to try to keep within my integrity, what I've told people is that, you know, you have to start with the real metal first. If you don't touch it, you don't own it. And that's good for, you know, the vast majority of metals people, you know. However, there's others that want to go to the next risk to reward level, which is what I call the paper products. And paper, what I specialize in is the equity sector. It wasn't just precious metals mining shares. It's resource stocks, which, you know, we've made money in uh, lithium and cobalt and vanadium and rare earth elements and the battery metals, the uh, base metals, uh, our zinc. We saw zinc was in a shortage or coming to a shortage. And we made, uh, doubled our money in the zinc play. So we cover all the resources. Then above and beyond that is more sophisticated investors that can, again, do what the bankers do, which is use your higher end derivatives, which is primarily options. So the Golden silver life is basically a core position where you have uh, right um, covered calls or uh, secured puts in your account you're taught how to do it you get a trading alert and on and on it goes something that i thought of doing was starting an option service but i just really didn't have the time these people do as good a job or better than i could do because i travel so much so there's that and then i'll come back to that in a second i also was um partnered with them in a whole new project called energy stock profits and this is where me and my research staff which is not just me as you know, Dunningin, We are delving into the energy sector, and I don't know how many reports are out there to look at all energy, but we strive to do that, which means not only oil and gas, but the energy metals, as we just talked about, lithium, vanadium, cobalt, we look at solar, we looked at wind power, we looked at free energy, we look at everything you can imagine as far as what's out there and what investment opportunities we can find. So this is pretty much for a very much, higher end kind of an audience that really is into that sector and wants the ability to get, uh, let's say, early research on some of these companies. Most of what we'll be doing is like the Morgan Report, which means very strong established companies where we can uh, build a portfolio and get income off of it because there is a trading strategy that goes along with the uh, investments, the solid investments. And of course, it's down the line, meaning top-tier, mid-tier, and speculation. So there's that, so coming back, uh, I was there to launch that, that took a whole day. The night before that, I met with the accelerator group uh, with the Golden Silver for Life, and these are uh, clients of uh, of Golden Silver for Life that I participate in, a monthly call, and we go through the Morgan Report kind of uh, page by page. And so I did something that I thought about, and no one, to my knowledge, I say no one, but seldom is it ever brought up to anyone the other reasons that fiat fails. You know, the main reason is it's basically a piece of paper with nothing behind it, it's worthless, it could be printed at will, usually hyperinflates people catch on, it's a confidence game, and all the arguments I've heard on your channel and many, many others for years and years and years. The one that really isn't brought to the fore very much is what we're going to talk about right now because, again, I was asked to give a speech during this dinner. Uh, Let me digress a bit. John Butler from Gold Money uh, gave the first presentation, and he he did a great job. I like John a lot. I like Gold Money. And he did a presentation where you can actually loan your gold at interest, or you can borrow at interest. In other words, if you have gold or silver and it's just kind of collecting dust and you need some cash, you can put it into their system and borrow against it at a pretty favorable terms. Or on the other hand, you've got gold or silver that's just, you know, in a vault somewhere and you really want to move it and get a little bit of interest on it, you can do that as well. So that was the basis of what he spoke about. Then it was my turn. So I talked about the eighth wonder of the world, as Warren Buffett calls it, and it's called compound interest. And this is another reason fiat fails. And it's talking about the exponential curve, that, in other words, you cannot maintain a straight-up line forever. No tree grows to the moon. So I found a website. It's called live-counter.com, and it talks about what would have happened had Jesus deposited one cent at 5% interest. So 5% interest the rule 72 tells you that it doubles every 15 years. So after um, 15 years you would have two cents, after 34 cents, 60 years, 16 cents, 105 years, 128 cents, a whole dollar 28, and after 150 years, you'd be up to 1000 cents, which is rounded off to 10 bucks. So you can see that after 150 years, there's a thousand-fold increase in the penny. Remember, this is a 5% compounded. And after 600 years, you would have $10 billion worth in your bank account. Not bad. And after another 600 years, simply multiply that factor by one trillion. That's $10 billion trillion after 1,200 years. After 1800 years, 10 billion, trillion, trillion. Think about that. Or in gold terms, and this is what I love as my punchline for this audience, and this is what I opened with. In gold terms, 312 trillion, trillion tons equals 52 times the weight of the Earth. So in other words, if you took it in terms of gold, it would be 50 Earths in gold. So obviously impossible obviously impossible to keep a compound interest rate going indefinitely. And this is something that no financial planner is going to tell you. No one even really thinks about it very much, Dunnigan. But the point is, if you are a banking elitist, in other words, the top tier of the banking structure, you know full well the truth of this. And you never really, I mean, I'm speaking for them, and I will, (laughs) not for them, but let me just make clear the point that most of them know this, and what that means is this. They don't care if the interest is paid off. In fact, they know the interest can't be paid off in most cases. In fact, they hate it when loans are paid off. All they want is the interest, because the interest cannot be paid off unless the money supply expands. And that's why this thing is such a Ponzi scheme. It cannot be paid off, so when your financial planner tells you, you know, we're putting in this diversified portfolio, we're going to assume 7% compounded, Mm -hmm. blah, 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 and after 30 years, you're going to have this money, you will be able to save retirement, I'm not saying they're not sincere, but they haven't really thought this through. I'm not saying you couldn't compound interest for 30 years, you can, but you can't compound it for 600 years. And the basis of the whole system is it is it is indefinite, and it's not, and this is one of the many reasons that these fiats fail. But again, just a different kind of a look at it. So going back to the banks, they really gonna make the strong point again, is in their system they know that a lot of these loans won't be paid off. All they really care about is you're paying the interest to them, on and on and on. So you're basically indentured. If you go to the movie The International, there is a line in that movie about how the banks control everything, and it's through debt. In other words, if you control the debt, you control them, meaning the company or the country or the other bank or the mortgage, the whole house, or whomever. In other words, if you own the debt, you control the debt, you control it. And this is true. And this is what this interest rate thinks really about, if you think about it. And what I really liked about this website, and giving full credit, as I should, is that he put it in terms of gold. If you go back to a gold standard, a gold coin standard, you can't inflate the gold supply. You can't inflate the money supply beyond what the gold supply increases, which is roughly 2% a year. So your money supply in physical gold is about 2% a year. But that doesn't mean the economy's restricted to grow at 2%. It's probably going to grow at a lower rate than a fiat system at times but it will be in a manner where the money supply does increase, but it increases uh, at that slow rate, and the produ- productivity of people continues to increase, which means that the iPhone 7 is better than the iPhone 4, and probably costs less. So in a true gold coin standard, or really a bimetalli- well, either one, but bimetallic's my favorite, I digress, I'll come back. In a true honest money system, everybody has a higher li- standard of living because the money over time continues to buy more and more and more. So instead of worrying about, you know, what your compound interest rate is, the pro- natural productivity and inventiveness of the human being continues to make better and better products and more of them. So every dollar actually buys more in the marketplace because more is created all the time. But that's a, a slight deflation meaning that Even that the money is worth more over time, not less. Right. So,
0: that criticism that some people have leveled against a gold based. Uh, monetary system is that because the gold supply is rather inelastic, that it wouldn't be able to expand rapidly to support uh, robust business growth. But what I hear you saying is not so much. It's just that if if your monetary supply is in fact based on a rather slowly changing amount of gold, that just the the, the added productivity and um, productiveness and creativity and so on of the of the uh, economy would cause a deflation, which would make people's savings worth more, and uh, actually that they could still create more value, then nothing's stopping them from creating more value. Is that, is that what you're saying?
1: Pretty much, I mean, you know, it'd be great to just go into history and say, hey, look, this proves it again and again and again, but there's a couple problems with that. One is that you can look at like 1800 and 1900 rough round numbers and that hundred year period, you basically a loaf of bread costs the same the whole way through. Why? Because basically you're on a bimetallic or a gold standard during that time frame, And that's part of it. The other problems are if you get the counter argument, and I know most arguments on any, well, not on any topic on the monetary topics. So the main crux of, well, gold standard doesn't work because you know, it's always failed. And the truth is it has in most, you know, and why? Well, it's not gold. Because if you think about it, you know, as objectively as possible, gold is an inert substance. It's something on the periodic table. And people have cherished it as money for thousands of years. That's what it is. But gold isn't, you know, has nothing to do with being other than itself, which means what failed. And what failed is even though gold is a policeman on the currency or a way of uh, moderating the amount of money in the system, people are people. So there are people that are dishonest, even if it's a gold standard. So as we know from fractional reserve banking that the goldsmith said, hey, I got an idea. We'll put out a receipt. We'll put out more receipts than we have gold. Well, that's called human failure. It's not gold's fault that somebody cheated. So if you look at seriously and objectively about why a gold standard doesn't work, it's not because of gold, it's because of people. That's the honesty of the people. So that's why I kind of was very much harping on the gold coin standard, meaning that you know the coins were distributed to the individuals that earned them or whatever and they weren't being you know banked or whatever. But this is you know more theory than substance. I mean you know, but the idea sound. Can it be done in the human realm or not? I don't know to be determined, but I just want to give a clear idea of what compound interest means, why it fails, and why the gold standard as critics say it always fails. Well, it doesn't fail because of gold; it fails because of because of the fallacy of the human being. That's why, because people are dishonest. That's why. So, circling I think there was another point I had, and I can't recall what it is. So, go ahead and. Shoot no, that, that's me fine.
0: I'm um, circling back to your compound interest story. You were talking about how um, almost. Imp- how impossible or how absurd it starts to sound like if you start uh, expanding the timeline out to many, many uh, doubling periods uh, for compound growth. And you were talking about this and what it, insight it can give us about the lifetime, the realistic lifetime of fiat currencies that are based on inherently on uh, in- interest that's due on this debt-based uh, you know mechanism. But is it also that the uh, the difference between people thinking, okay, maybe compound interest will help me a bit in my lifetime, but these uh, multi-generational family dynasties that really have spanned centuries, um, people mention the Rothschilds or whoever, um, that if you can actually maintain this uh, going on for some period of time, you really can amass absurd amounts of, uh, of wealth uh, through this compounding, but just that it can't be done it seems, to, it seems to be focusing our thoughts, your discussion, on what is the lifetime of an individual over which expanded um, compound interest can accumulate, or what is the lifetime of a, of a fiat currency subject to the same, uh, in this case, devaluing uh, process.
1: Right. I mean, you could go into the Rothschilds, and maybe they've got one that's, uh, I forget the founding of... Uh, you know the bank of england but uh, forgive me what 16 something i mean you know that that thing might be 300 years it's still compounded we wouldn't really know but i gathered my second thought about a uh, gold yeah. gold coin standard so another thing about the restriction of a fixed money supply and it doesn't mean it's fixed it increases every year if you mine more is that there's a lot more prudence in the system so what we call in the austrian school of economics uh, malinvestment. There's very little malinvestment because the people that are loaning, we'll call them banks, you can have a gold bank, um, would make more of a wise decision when loaning money for a new project, be it a real estate build-out or a new business or uh, you know transportation program or whatever it is. So there would be less malinvestment, not none. I mean, people are people, and they, you know, things work and they don't work. I mean, the right to succeed is the right to fail as well. But there wouldn't be this willy-nilly. We'll just print our way out of it, no problem. You know, come back oh, if something fails, we'll give the taxpayer to bail you out. There'd be none of that, or very little of it, if any. So. I wanted to make that point because it's very important as well. So, you know, a lot of people are running around sustainable development. I mean, the gold gold coin standard is pretty close to that, really. But you know, again, I mean, this is I'm doing this on a you know an ideology or on a philosophical basis. I mean, I'm you know very realistic that we'll probably never see that. And have we ever really seen that? And the answer is no. There's always been kind of a you know a partial gold standard not a true gold coin standard i mean all these banks have gone ahead even on a gold standard have loaned out probably more than really exists in that type of thing but i digress well
0: back to the the core of your argument about um the wisdom or 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 foolhardiness of of basing your financial life of your family or your country on debt Um, is it your opinion that people should seriously consider, as some of our guests have suggested, paying off, getting out of debt, owning what what they have outright, so they aren't subject to that? And what does that tell us about? Um, are, is it is it even realistically possible for a country to do the same? Our our country is is certainly in a lot of debt, and it seems like a lot of the countries of the world are currently. We have record levels of sovereign debt. Could you talk to us about the the uh, validity and um, healthfulness of debt, both at the at the individual level and at the sovereign level.
1: Yeah. Sure. So on the individual level certainly, you know, having credit in the system is not against, you know, my main principles. I mean, if you have an idea and you don't have the money, uh, you know, you could get some friends to pool their capital and you have to provide them something in order to take the risk, and that's usually interest. So I'm not against that idea but as far as the individual depending on the circumstances are usually smart to pay off pay off loans in other words to have everything owned outright especially in a deflationary environment people would say well in in an inflationary environment that's stupid you know the currency is going to inflate away but that's not always true either not that the currency doesn't inflate away but your access to the currency may be null and void so you might see um, the price of a house doubled in a year, as a quick example, mm-hmm. but you didn't get your wages doubled in that year. In fact, you lost your job. There's a, and I'm going to digress here because not too many people talk about this either, but there is not much difference between a debt liquidating depression like the 1930s and a hyperinflationary depression. Remember, I said depression debt liquidating depression, or what most people know as like the Great Depression, or hyperinflationary depression, but most people leave off the depression part of the hyperinflation. But in both cases, you have very much uncertainty about the money supply. You have, un, you have high unemployment with um, the prospects of getting a job very, very low. You basically stall out uh, corporations. You basically have a mess. Economically, You have a lot of uh, concern about, you know, what the food chain looks like. And all this is true of the hyperinflationary environment and for the most part in a debt liquidating or a deflationary depression. So a hyperinflation um, obviously destroys the currency. And this is the least moral of the two. But neither one is that moral. The point is that you have a lot of crossover between a currency that fails or on the other hand you have basically uh, a currency that survives uh, but the bad debt fails so in a deflationary depression there'll be a lot of let's say corporate bonds out there that made bad loans that i'd call malinvestment that failed so Mm -hmm. if you're a, a fat cat and you bought a bunch of xyz bonds in the an A corporation that looked really solid at the time, and it goes out of business. Well, that you know, 200 million that you put in those bonds goes down to whatever the market will bear. It might be zero, because you made a bad, bad bet, a bad loan. So that's the idea of a of a depression or a deflation, where on the other hand, you can just destroy the currency, which means all those bonds get paid off. But what are they worth? You know, if you have a 200 million dollar bond and it's paid off in the currency, but the currency's gone from being worth 10 cents on Friday to being worth one cent a month later, you haven't gained very much. So both are very destructive. Um, So I'll leave it at that.
0: There's a related question uh, from Kurt Stein, one of our viewers, Uh, it says, if you have a loan for a million dollars and hyperinflation happens, does the principal increase as it should set as it should be a set amount, even though the money buys less, unless the terms of the loan are renegotiated or the interest rate dramatically increases, you should be able to pay off more with less. And then he goes on to talk about how the precious to precious metals behave in that environment. But let's take it one step at a time. If, if
1: yeah. Does the yeah. biggest debtor it win? Yeah. <laughs> it depends how it's written. I mean, early on in a hyperinflation, where inflation is just picking up and actually people feel good about it. usually. You know, if wages keep up, especially, which depends, but this time I doubt they would. But regardless, so yeah, now if it's written, and most of them are, that it's a fixed amount, one million dollars. Yeah, you'd be smart if you you know could pay it off if your income level um, allowed it. In other words, you know, if you didn't lose your job or whatever, and you had the money to to do it, that's fine. As far as what do the metals do? The metals do best. Well, let me rephrase that. Gold does best in a deflationary environment. That's proven by Professor Roy S. Jastrom in the book, The Golden Constant. The problem with me making such a bold statement, he did the proof, not me, is that some of the time that he proved that, uh, we were on a gold standard or a partial gold standard. So there's a little bit of fuzziness to it. After he wrote the book, The Golden Constant, he started thinking like I right, would about the silver market and how does it perform in a deflationary or inflationary environment. And he wrote the book, Silver and the Restless Metal. And I've studied both of these books, had nauseum. But uh, in silver, it does a mixed job in a deflation, doesn't always uh, underperform, but sometimes it does okay or well. Uh, Most of the time, it does best in an inflationary environment. In fact, in the first few pages of the book, uh, Professor Jastrom implied strongly that if there is an inflationary, I'll say depression, those are my words on his, but an inflationary crash, that silver, bar none, would be the best place to be.
0: That's, again, in an inflationary situation? In for
1: sale, right. Yep. Yep.
0: Uh, here's a different aspect about uh, silver coinage that's being asked by Richard Ralph Rail. He says Are minted bullion coins, silver in particular, less prone to government confiscation if a full blown economic
1: collapse occurs? Absolutely. If you are in the United States and you have legal tender, they can't take it from you. At least if they did, there'd be some pretty smart lawyers to be jumping on that lawsuit pronto. But if you were in the United States and you had Canadian silver maple leaves, for example, they could maybe get away with it. But if you own the national currency or let's say money, uh, because it is money uh, in that jurisdiction. So if you were in Canada and own silver maples or, silver or gold maples, there's no way. I mean, could they? Yes, I mean, they could. But they'd be absolutely ridiculous to even try because it's legal tender. And same thing for the Silver Eagle program here or the Gold Eagle program here. So if you're really worried about that, which I'm not, but if you are, then what you should do if you have any like um, – You know, silver, that's uh, not in your jurisdiction. You could trade it, swap it, or sell it and get, you know, get all silver eagles for an example if you're living in the U.S. Again, I'm not that concerned about it, but, you know, as far as legally, no, that's your best bet. If you're concerned about it, that's what you would do.
0: And just to make sure we're crystal clear here, you're not making currently a distinction between, like, junk silver that was actual um coinage currency as as opposed to like silver eagles which are printed as bullion coins but they say right on there you know however many u.s dollars on their face you're, you're not making a distinction between those two from this discussion
1: no i'm not sure i'm reading your question correctly so let me just restate the the facts anything that's minted in the u.s that's held by you can't be confiscated so a junk bag would be if you really wanted to you know get down to the nitty-gritty I'll call it and you wanted to be confiscation free and get the most bang for your Federal Reserve note you buy nothing but junk silver you'd buy bags of dimes bags of quarters and bags of 50-cent pieces because those are the least marked up uh, money available to you as being in the United States and there's no way that that can be confiscated again you know they're might try it, but it's ridiculous. It can't, it's legal tender. The bullion coins like the silver eagle has a pretty good markup on it in fiat terms, uh, but it's still legal tender. But if you want them, you know, you want it to be secure as possible by the, what's called, referred to, and I don't like the term junk silver, you can refer to it as uh, Chris Duane often does, and that's constitutional silver. But you could absolutely, so I, am I clear on that? Yeah. Both cases yeah, yeah. are the one you want, yeah. Great. Uh,
0: Another question related to uh, holding silver in the case of an economic uh, distress. Frank Scarfone says, after the reset, will the price of silver be artificially suppressed because it is extensively used in industry?
1: Well, um, reading into that question somewhat, I think the real, one of the main, well, there's two reasons in my very studied view why silver is suppressed. One is that it tracks gold so closely. So it'd be kind of tough for the banking system to see gold at a price that they're able to keep it at. And silver takes off to the moon. It's sort of the tough. So they kind of have to keep them together. I mean, there's an 85% correlation between gold and silver. So they're highly correlated. So that's number one. They have to do it because even though it's considered primarily an industrial metal, it still has monetary qualities. The other part, is basically answered his own question, in my view, and that is that, is it suppressed due to industry? And that's the whole reason, from my studied view, you won't see this in print, for the Silver Users Association. The Silver Users Association is basically a cartel that's got together the main users of silver, which at the time was Kodak, uh, the photography industry, mm-hmm. and the electronics industries, and some of the electrical providers like the big conglomerates like a Dow Chemical and those types that were together to basically keep the price of silver down for industrial use because, you know, they wanted to keep their profits high, so keep silver's price low. And that's the only commodity. The basically has what I call a reverse cartel. I mean, you've got the OPEC, which is a cartel to fix the price of oil, but basically for the benefit of people that produce it, whereas the Silver Users Association is a cartel to make sure the people that use it in their product keep the price low.
0: That's interesting. I haven't heard the term reverse cartel before, but that's, that's really interesting the way you laid it out. Um, we we rarely get, let you get away without asking you a philosophical question we've got one here by Jack Pine Savage who says wouldn't it be a better investment to store my treasure in heaven instead of here on earth where rust will be just destroy it
1: well absolutely I mean you know I don't get into that topic too often but you know I've had many critics of my work uh, over the years talk about you know throwing gold and silver in the streets and I'm certainly well aware of that and the uh, if you believe what many believe and, you know, you get a second coming, I mean, the first thing anyone's going to do is throw those coins in the street. Who cares at that point? Game over. We win. So certainly, you know, I'm uh, very much open minded to other belief systems. I know what mine are. Uh, and I allow everyone to be entitled to whatever belief system it is, even the very bizarre, in my view, bizarre. But no, I think you have to strike a balance. Certainly, I think leading a strongly moral life in this environment is extremely difficult. And there are so many um, draws from the world at large that we're not even really that conscious of, a, you know, basically floating through our our consciousness all the time that many find the road to be wider than they might suspect. I mean, the road there is very narrow, and the more you're on it, the narrower it gets. And this is why there are certain things that, like, in my industry, the mining industry, I just will not do, that others do all the time. Um, There are certain um, aspects to uh, a lot of stuff that I just don't do. Does that mean I take the moral high ground? The answer is as much as possible. The problem is you have to... um, I would say I compromised my values uh, in, a, in a meaningful way at all. However, <clears throat> a quick example. I mean, there has been times in the Morgan Report where I've been taken. In other words, I bought into the um, people that had the, the land package, the drills and everything else and bought into them telling me the truth and they were lying. So did I do something morally wrong? Not really. But nonetheless, the facts are that we were given something that was misrepresented, and I represented it as it was being represented to me. Right, And I regret that, but I'm human too, so I think I've answered the question. I mean, it's always, to me, a balance. I mean, if you're not—you know, one of my favorite expressions—I'm kind of dancing around. I hope I gave this guy an answer, but one of my favorite bumper stickers of all time, and, you know, I've only seen it a few times, but if there is—let's see, it goes— If you're living your life as if there is no God, you better be right.
0: (laughs) Always a thought provoking one. And uh, speaking of the Morgan Report a few moments ago, uh, could we give you a chance before letting you go to let people know what they're missing out on if they're not taking advantage of that?
1: Sure. I think the main thing is get on the free list. I do a lot of free information. I put it out every weekend. We do some advertising during the week. I have to. I have to pay people. It's a, you know, going concern. But um, it's just go to the morganreport.com and give us a first name and a valid email. You have to confirm that that's your email and get on the free list. You want to go above and beyond that. There's a pretty good sales page on the uh, report. Or on that same website, the morningreport.com, you can just use the drop down menu. It says uh, join us or join or subscribe. I think it says subscribe. And I'll give you the options. You can do it on a monthly basis, you can do it on a yearly basis. There's really two options the premium service and the mastermind service.
0: We've been speaking with David Morgan, the silver guru, fresh back from conferences in London. And among other things we learned is if you really want to set your uh, family legacy up, make sure you put a penny in at 5% compound interest for 1,800 years and you're all all set.
1: (laughs) 50 50 earths of gold. Isn't that amazing?
0: That sounds like uh, more than than the average person needs. Well, thank you, David, as always, for joining us here on Relucted Preppers. My pleasure. Thank you.
1: This is The Morgan Report with David Morgan. For the latest in precious metals investing, gold, silver, the economy, and more, go to themorganreport.com.
0: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps)